There's a whole lot of entrepreneurs out there, leaders, high-level salespeople, who they spend a lot of time at work and building the business, and then they turn around and they say, but I'm doing it for the family. I want my kids to understand what it means to be a McCarthy. And so I realized early on that we needed to form some really concrete family values and we needed to do it collectively as a family. And this is a way for you to bring your leadership home and let your children, your family experience great leadership. I wanted to make a point with my family to actually catch each other living the values and celebrate the times when we as a family or any one individual was living these values. And so they've become an integral part of our family life. Your legacy is only gonna be as strong as the hands that you equip to carry it forward. There are few people I know who are as respectable and admirable as Mike McCarthy. He's a family man first, along with being an uber successful entrepreneur and business leader who has helped develop Keller Williams into the largest real estate company in the world and is a co-founder of the elite masterminds GoBundance and FamBundance. Mike and his wife, Lindsay, collaborated with Hal Elrod to write The Miracle Morning for Parents and Families. And now they have developed a playbook with specific exercises for family success and fulfillment. Most notably, the establishment of well-defined family values. Mike discusses his life, his career, and the seven exercises in his playbook during this value-filled conversation. I'm extremely grateful and honored to be able to introduce him to you all today. This is my friend, Mike McCarthy. Welcome to Changing Lives Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. This podcast was originally created to spotlight the leaders, alumni, and friends of the Cutco Vector Marketing community who are leveraging their positive influence to empower people all over the world to change their lives. Every few weeks, we go outside of the Cutco Vector sphere to bring you a guest who is teaching others how to have a more successful and fulfilling life, both personally and professionally. The special guests we bring to you here in episodes like today's are successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. The lessons they share are compelling, real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I have a very special guest today from outside the Cutco Vector community that I am super fired up to share with you all. His name is Mike McCarthy. Mike is a husband, father, and a serial entrepreneur who has played a major role in the growth and expansion of Keller Williams to become the number one real estate company in the world. He leads over 9,000 real estate agents as the regional operating partner for the greater Pennsylvania region. He is also the co-founder of GoBundance, which is an elite mastermind group that we'll talk a little bit about today, as well as FamBundance, which is the family version of that. Mike is passionate about sharing wisdom that helps entrepreneurial families to thrive. 
He connected with Hal Elrod several years ago to co-author The Miracle Morning for Parents and Families. And he has a new playbook, which is a companion to that book, which is one of the main things we're going to talk about today. I have really admired Mike for the past five years since I've gotten to know him through the Front Row Dads group. And I'm very grateful to be able to introduce him to this audience today. Mike McCarthy, thanks for being part of the podcast. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Dan. Excellent. Well, I'd like our audience to get to know you a little bit. And I'm curious about a few things too, Mike. Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in uh, Colorado in the suburbs south of, of Denver and uh, lived there till I was about 22 years old. And that's when I moved out to Philadelphia to launch franchises for Keller Williams. Oh, nice. How did you end up getting into Keller Williams? So I'm an SOB, which stands for son of a broker. So uh, my father was uh, an early pioneer with Keller Williams and developed a lot of their Colorado offices. So when I graduated college, I did what I thought I would never do. I went and worked with my dad and I was his assistant for the first uh, year or so. And my job was to cold call real estate agents and try to set appointments to go and recruit them. And my dad and I would then fly out to Philadelphia and we would go recruit these agents to a concept that no one had ever heard of called Keller Williams. Oh, cool. So you went out to Pennsylvania. You moved out there, right? To go run the Pennsylvania area. Yeah, I did. For the first year, my dad and I used to travel out two weeks at a time and we'd stay in a hotel room together. And I got tired of being woken up at 5 a.m. every morning to dial up network connecting. If you're old enough to know what that sounds like, it's about the worst wake up call you could you could get because it's <laughs> a highly annoying sound. And I loved Colorado. I, I loved the outdoors. I was a Colorado guy through and through, but I just wanted to be where the action was and be able to work on it four weeks out of a month instead of two. And I also just wanted my own space and my own place to live and not having to share a hotel room. So I decided to to bite the bullet and move out there. Yeah. And where along this path did you meet Lindsay and start your family? I had been out there already for about five or six years before I finally met Lindsay. And then we had kids 12 years ago. We had our first son. And so it took me a while to find Lindsay out there, but I was the place was a lot homier after I found her and met her family. So and is she a Pennsylvania girl? Yeah, she was born and raised in the the town that I I moved to when I I selected towns to move to. I picked Westchester, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Philadelphia, um, just to the west of Philly. And that's where she grew up and went to high school. And then I met her when she was on break for Easter. And she was home from college and uh, we were out and about and met her, met her at a bar in Westchester. So (laughs) amazing. And your children are Tyler and Ember. Yeah. Tyler's 12 and Ember's eight. Very cool. And so you built really great success with Keller Williams out there. And I know that you've always had a, a really strong desire for connecting with other successful entrepreneurs and just sharing wisdom. Is this what led you to start GoBundance? Yeah, I mean, what happened there is that my dad and I were very much similar, probably more than either of us would want to admit. And uh, after like a year and a half or so, two years of working together, 
I thought I knew it all and I knew what was best. And he was kind of rolling his eyes like, all right, if you know what's best, then you can do all the work and I'll move, I'll move to Florida and you can just head it all up and do your thing. And at that point, we were no longer a part of the Colorado region. We just owned Pennsylvania 100%, he and I. And so I took it on. And uh, luckily, he was smart enough to do his best to mentor me, but also to introduce me to other people who, since they were not my father, I was a little more open to some of their guidance. And one of those individuals was David Osborne. And so I got to meet David when I was 22, 23 years old. And he had already done what I wanted to do, which is take over a region that his mom had originally purchased and then really grow it to an awesome level. And uh, so I got introduced to David and he became one of my first mentors. And uh, slowly but surely, I started going on trips with David and his peer group, which was a guy, Pat Hyben and Tim Road. And those are now my partners in GoAbundance. So I was sort of the low man on the totem pole and they were more my mentors, but I stuck with it and I kept bringing value and adding value. And eventually they, when they decided to turn it into something, they gave me a little piece of ownership in it. And then uh, the rest is history. We're now an organization that has over 700 elite members and it's grown rapidly over the past couple of years. Um, I had the pleasure of being the CEO from 2015 until 2019 or 20 mid 2018. And uh, yeah, it's just been an incredible journey. We do lots of adventure type trips and lots of mastermind events where you get to get out and play and do things in nature, but then you come back in and we bring speakers in and we we lead connection and mastermind and events and, and ways of finding out how to share wisdom with other elite elite entrepreneurs. Wow. So the initial connection that led to GoBundance was David Osborne. Yeah. And he is one of the most highly successful people in the history of Keller Williams organization, as far as I know. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Just a, a mega successful real estate mogul, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, and that brought you to Pat Hyben and Tim Road. I, I know Tim, I don't know Pat, but uh, Tim's a great guy. And so you guys put together this membership group of elite entrepreneurs from around, I guess, the United States at first. And yeah, now um, we've got international members and members from Canada, but it was mainly North America to start. Yeah. And so these guys get together periodically for different events, whether it's a trip or some other event like that, where they have a chance to connect with each other, network with each other, help each other, discuss things with each other, and, and just uh, do life together with people who are like-minded and equally successful and, and ambitious. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only thing I would add to what you said, which I think you nailed it, is when we really started it, we were just guys hanging out together and doing our thing you know, on a guy's trip. And it just slowly evolved from there to where there was eight guys and then 16 guys. When it got to about 40 guys that wanted to come on this trip, and we had a successful event with 40. That's at that event, which was in 20, uh, I think 2013. That's when we looked around and we were like, man, we got to turn this into something or it's going to run us into the grave here. And uh, it had its, a life of its own. And we just really had to be good stewards of, of this organism called GoBundance. And 
we've just helped it become what it wanted to become. There wasn't a whole lot of planning or or visioning that led us to this. It really just was something that wanted to be birthed into the world. And we were happy to be its parents and lead it to where it is today. Nice. Nice. And that is also branched off now into Fambundance, right? Yeah. So when I served as CEO, I, I had sort of a moment where I had a lot of freedom in my real estate business because I built an incredible team and I turned over the reins to them and started letting them be in the spotlight. And, and my job was to just help them shine. And uh, I got a bit of freedom and I decided I wanted to give back to GoBundance because it had helped me to get to where I was. Having great mentors, having these amazing uh, entrepreneurs around me, believing in me, giving me advice, it really shaped who I was as an entrepreneur so much so that I said, I need to give back to it. And at the time, they really needed a leader to take the reins and be the CEO. So I jumped in, but I immediately regretted it because I thought, oh shit, what did I just do? And I just gave up all of my freedom and I had it, I had it pretty good. And I I came to terms with I loved everything about it. So it was still a passion project and something I wanted to give my time to, except for the fact that I would be leaving my family to go do it. That was the part that I I just couldn't stomach. And so I decided that I was going to bring my family along for that journey and create a division of GoBundance that was for families. And so we've led probably 20 plus mastermind events that were just for families. And we would bring speakers in and the kids would mastermind amongst themselves. The adults would mastermind. The families would all get together and set goals and mastermind. And that really became something that people loved. And it became a differentiator for GoBundance above all other masterminds too. So it was something that was the right thing to do for where I was and where my heart was. But it also, in the end, became smart business because so many people that we were working with really cared about bringing their families along too. And so creating an avenue where they could be a part of something that wasn't just trips for entrepreneurs to go on, but was something that could really enrich the families. That became something that helped us to be a, you know, a little, little different and more special than what other folks were doing in that same space. Yeah. What a fantastic idea, Mike. I mean, the whole idea of families being able to get together where there's events for the parents, there's events for the kids, there's time to set goals and construct values and just all the things that are really important in a family in an environment where you're around other families who are thinking the same way and want to do the same things and are like-minded in many ways. It just feels so powerful. Yeah, it's been magical. Like we've we've been able to really impact families in that way. And honestly, we wrote the Miracle Morning for Parents and Families with how before Fambundance was a thing. Then having wrote that book with Hal kind of gave us a little bit of validity in the parenting family space so my wife and I could lead these events. And then what's really funny is because we led those events for five years, we learned how to facilitate families and how to create exercises that would really make a difference. And that's what went into the playbook that we just released was all of the different exercises that we developed over those years. And they're all they're all informed with the style and the strategies of exchange, which I know you've been a part of with John Berghoff and using appreciative inquiry. So everything that we've done for families really 
came out of us just getting out there and doing it and then us learning exchange and trying to apply it to the family system. Yeah, you and I met for the very first time at the the first Front Row Dads retreat. So this was October of 2016. Yeah. And then I know we were both a part of the sort of the original crew of exchange when John Berghoff started that. And then I experienced something a little bit like Fambundance, which was the Front Row Family Summit, which you were also at. This would have been in July of 2018. And to be around families like yours or like Philip and Elizabeth Perez come to mind, of course, the Elrods and the Vromans, all of these amazing families that we've had a chance to be around and experience the things that you're describing. I mean, it was really transformational. And uh, for you to have hatched a way for this to happen on a consistent basis for entrepreneurial families, uh, just uh, such a cool, cool thing that you're doing. Tell me how you connected with Hal to write the original Miracle Morning for Parents and Families. Yeah, so I met Hal at a One Life Fully Lived event, which is a nonprofit that my partner in GoBundance, we mentioned earlier, Tim Rode, is the founder of. And we saw Hal speak. And Lindsay and I had actually had just previously come from a Tony Robbins event, like, like a few weeks before. And then we went to One Life and we heard Hal speak and we thought, this is awesome. Let's definitely start doing our Miracle Morning together as a couple. And we, we, we started doing the Miracle Morning together. And then right away, my wife started having challenges doing the Miracle Morning because our daughter would, was uh, just a toddler at the time. And she would inevitably come and interrupt the Miracle Morning and be curious about it. And my son started to do the same as well. And so Lindsay actually had a dream one night where she created these poems that were for children that were about each element of the Miracle Morning. And she took that from there and started doing the Miracle Morning each morning with our kids and and having them design their own Miracle Morning. And eventually what happened is my son wanted to change it from savers to something else. So the original Miracle Morning has the six practices of savers that you do every morning, silence, affirmation, visualization, reading, exercise, and scribing. And my son looked at her and said, well, I don't need to save my life because that's sort of the tagline that Hal uses is that if you do the savers, it'll save your life. He was being young and innocent, but at the same time, incredibly brilliant and saying like, hey, I'm a kid. I haven't been ruined by the world yet. I don't need my (laughs) life saved. So can we create something else? And so Lindsay and Tyler sat down and they created the charms. And that's a kid's version of the savers, which stands for creativity, health, affirmation, reading, meditation, and service. And so he started doing the charms with with his mom and with me. And then the following year, one year later, we saw Hal again. I think it was at another One Life event, or it could have been at Best Year Ever. I don't actually remember. It was one of those two events. And we brought Tyler over to Hal, and and Tyler read his his Miracle Morning affirmations to Hal. And then Lindsay said, hey, we'd love to do a parenting book on the miracle morning and how's like great let's do it and that was it like he sent over the paperwork and 
we wrote a check and then we wrote, Lindsay and I sat down and she did a lot of the writing. I, I helped a little bit and we just put the book together and launched it. And it was really surreal that it was even happening because we were still looking up to Hal and being like, he's amazing, like his platform, everything. And he's choosing us to do this book with him. It was really flattering and, and amazing. Now, fast forward, like we just moved in two years ago to the same neighborhood that Hal Elrod and David Osborne lived in in Austin. And so we got to be, he's moved just recently, but we got to be for a couple of years, Hal's neighbor and just really got to know him beyond our business partnership. And we had a, we have a great little community going here in Austin now that's, that's still thriving and we do life together. So it's, it's pretty remarkable what can happen in the span of four or five years. Yeah. Amazing, Mike. I love it. And I can definitely vouch that the Miracle Morning for Parents and Families is a great great, great version of the Miracle Morning for anybody that has kids, has a family. It's just such a cool way of, of uh, spinning Hal's original concept into something that's even more relevant if you have a family that, you're, uh, that you want to experience it with at the same time. So cool stuff. And yeah. so now you've written the companion guide. I have it right here, the Miracle Morning for Parents and Families, the playbook. Yep. Playbook, right? Why a playbook, Mike? Well, because nobody likes to do work, Dan. So we would have called it a workbook, but we figured the playbook sounds a lot more fun and a lot more doable, especially for spouses and, and kids that maybe aren't into the personal development world or whatever. We thought changing the marketing on it a little bit could help. Ultimately, it is a workbook, but everything's about marketing. So <laughs> yes. Well, tell us a little bit about what the playbook consists of. I know there are seven rituals that you describe, right? Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, like a couple of things about the exercises before we dive into maybe sharing a couple or all of what, what those are is that, like I had mentioned earlier, it's rooted in the exchange philosophy and that's built on appreciative inquiry, which is about studying the best of what is, was, or could be in any human system. And then using where you're already strong and already have great strengths and success to build upon uh, areas that you want to become excellent in. And it's very different from the standard prescriptive leadership style of command and control, where one leader has all the answers and they come down from the mountaintop and they tell everyone what to do and how to fix the problems. In fact, Exchange teaches that we want to move beyond problems and consider what does excellence look like? Because sometimes when we address a problem or we think in terms of problems, the best we can do is, is a quick fix or a Band-Aid solution instead of really dreaming up collectively with a group of people, well, what does it look like if we were truly excellent at whatever this is, wherever our problem might be stemming from? And so that part of like, dreaming up where you could be excellent, where your strengths already are, and then considering giving the voices to the many through great questions instead of command and control, which is one leader has all the answers. In appreciative inquiry, it's about having the right questions and then asking those questions to as many people throughout the system who are stakeholders in that system, what they think, and if they would like to participate in designing the future that could be outstanding together. And so we built all of our exercises on this idea that even children as young as a couple of years old 
they have value to offer. And a lot of times in the family system, we try to, as parents, dictate, here's how it's going to go and here's how it's going to be. And I think a, a much better way of being within a family is to appreciate that our children have such wisdom and such such depth. Like we talked about my son Tyler earlier, not needing to save his life. There's a certain amount of like intuition and creativity that kids just naturally have. And I grew up in the, the era, Dan, maybe you can relate, where it was actually stated that kids are to be seen and not heard. It was like the parents know best, the kids know nothing, and you need to do what we say. And the goals that were set oftentimes are the parents' goals being set for the kids. The kids don't have a lot of input. And I thought, man, this I don't think this is the best way to approach this. And I think what works in high-performing teams and what works to lead organizations at a high level, I think it's also applicable to families. And so we started thinking about how are the ways that we can involve our family in setting goals and structuring our values and leading family meetings and even developing like our bedtime ritual or our miracle morning ritual. And so we've really set up a way in our family for our children's voices to really matter so that if they help create something and they get to give input on something, they'll actually own it at a much higher level. And so that's sort of the premise behind how we approach these exercises in the book, which for some of us, it's new thinking, but for a lot of us who've been around exchange and Berghoff's work, we just understand this is just a better way to lead. Exactly. Just the words you said there, a better way to lead is is so perfect as a summary. But the idea that the kids will own the work that is being produced, right? The values, the vision, the goals, the dreams, right? The kids own it. It's, it's theirs. It's not just yours handed down to them. And I also love just the way that you're modeling how a successful family should operate, how a successful relationship should operate, you're providing your kids with incredible hands-on training for their own future that is just going to be so beneficial to them down the road. I mean, it's such great work, Mike, and I, and I really respect so much what you have come up with and the way that you operate uh, as a leader, as a family man, just as a person. Let's get into the seven rituals of, uh, yeah. of the playbook. So the first one is the family bedtime ritual. Yeah. So this is one where you basically just get together. There's a lot of poster boards and post-it notes involved in a lot of this, a lot of questions and a lot of input. And again, I said, like, even at a young age, like, even if they don't give you great input, it's never too early to ask a child their opinion and show them that you value whatever it is they might be able to bring to the table. And so an area that a lot of families struggle in, especially if you have young kids, is, is a family bedtime ritual. And again, this is a scenario where a lot of times the parents are just saying, bedtime is this time, this is what happens, then we do this, then we do that. And the kids don't get a lot of input into that. They're just told, here's what bedtime is. And so this is a, a ritual or an exercise where you sit down and you actually talk about well, what are the things that are important to each one of us at bedtime? Do we want stories? Do we want to shower? Is that a morning thing? Are we getting together and shutting screens off all collectively as a family for a while? What does that actually look like? So you're basically just getting together and you're designing that through the exercise we've got in the book 
of like, hey, what does it look like? And it's it's something that evolves over time. So it's not like you just design the bedtime ritual once and then that's it. But you do design it and then you start following it. And then what happens is because this is a collaboration and something you've co-created, as the kids age and get older and older, then you can start to shift times and things you do and and make it more appropriate for whatever age your kids might be. And so we started there just because the key to having a great miracle morning is really about what you do the night before. How do you prepare yourself? Do you get a good night's rest? And are you collaborating and going to bed in a peaceful, harmonic state with your family before you get up the next morning to maybe do the miracle morning? So Yeah. I love anything, Mike, where we offer kids choices. And anytime you can construct a situation where you're offering a choice between something good and something else good, where you don't care what they pick, but they have a chance to pick, I think that that's always a very, very, it's a great way of parenting our kids is just giving them those choices. And so you you described how the bedtime ritual can be centered around their own choices, right? Like a lot of times I'll ask my daughter, right? Do you want to do a story tonight or would you rather just read on your own? And sometimes she says, well, I I want a story. And other times she says, well, I, I want to read on my own tonight. And either way, I'm okay with that. But she has chosen. And so she feels good about the choice and she feels good about where she's at. And your bedtime ritual sort of builds in that element of people being able to choose what it is that they want to do. That's always a positive choice, whatever it is, and gives them that feeling of being heard and and being a part of the process. Yeah, you nailed it. That's exactly right. And it's not like a free-for-all. It's not like they can say, well, at eight, we eat a piece of pie. And then at 8.30, we have some candy. And then at nine, we go to bed. You are stacking the deck a little bit in, in your favor by providing them options and some boundaries. But ultimately, within those boundaries and options, you're letting them have a lot of a lot of choice and a lot of leadership over how the family might approach bedtime. Yeah. I love what you said there about providing options and boundaries. And I think that's something people can think about in applying in uh, determining their own family bedtime ritual. So then uh, second is your family miracle morning. Yeah. So it's really having each member of the family understand within the charms, if they're kids or within the savers, if they're adults, like What are all the options of things that you could do with your time under each of the letters, each of the the letters of the acronym so that they can choose, hey, for the next week or so, here's what I'm going to do for my creativity. And here's what my health practice is going to look like. Here's what affirmations I might do. Like in our family, our kids, they wrote a, a different word for each letter of the alphabet. And so they do alphabet affirmations where they'll say, I'm awesome, I'm brave, I'm courageous, I'm a discoverer. And they'll go through the whole alphabet and now they have those memorized. So when they do their affirmations, they usually go straight to the alphabet affirmations. That's what they like to do. And you know, with the miracle morning for all of us, I think what you find is you experiment enough and you try enough different versions of it, you eventually find like a flow or a groove where it's like, this really works for me. It might be an hour long, it might be 10 minutes long, but you sort of figure out like, this is what works for me. These are the things that I really like to do. The only big departure from the savers to the charms really that's massively different 
is two parts. The creativity part, because there's no creativity in the savers. Um, there is creativity in it, but there's not an actual acronym for that. But the other one is, and that's just the kids, they will do a little skit, a play, they'll draw, they'll write something creative, they'll play with their toys, they'll do something that just gets them imagining and creating. And so that one's a little different. And then the other one is service. So the, the S at the end of the charms. And we just built that in because we wanted to instill into our children that, yes, it's important that you secure your own oxygen mask and you you develop yourself personally, but it's also important that you're serving others. And so we often uh, end our charms with service and they'll have to go find something that they need to do to serve the family or serve someone else in the world and in their lives throughout the day. And sometimes the service won't happen in the morning. In fact, a lot of times our kids won't do all of their charms in the morning. So for us, just you know, being candid with the audience so they understand it's progress over perfection. There's no one right way to do the miracle morning. And so the rule that we have in our family, though, is you can't do any type of screen time until your charms are done. So if they get up and they don't do their charms first thing in the morning, they go to school and they come home and now they want to do some type of video games or YouTube or Minecraft or something, they understand that before they do that, they're going to have to finish their charms and get them complete. So sometimes our kids will do two or three in the morning and then they'll do two or three after school and then they're able to earn the right to do some screen time. Nice, nice. And the acronym charms, it's creativity, health. health affirmations, reading, meditation, and service. Nice. I like it. Let's get into the third of the seven rituals. This is one that I definitely want to dive into a lot. It's your unique family values. What can you share with us about that? Yeah. So, you know, this is the one that, you know, there's some other motivation in writing this workbook and leading fan abundance that we didn't know on at the beginning or at the start of all of this. But over time, it became really obvious to me that there's a whole lot of entrepreneurs out there, leaders, high-level salespeople, who they spend a lot of time at work and building the business. And then they turn around and they say, but I'm doing it for the family. And they use their family as their excuse to be away from their family which is understandable because some of us got to go work. Like that's a fact. There's no way around that. But a lot of times they take a lot of advantages and they, they will stay away from work or away from the family at work, maybe more than they need to, because they either have the drive that they really want to keep creating for their family, or in some cases, they just don't know how to show up at home authentically, and they're a little more comfortable sometimes at work. We've seen this quite a bit with with a lot of our fan abundance families. And what I realized being a second generation entrepreneur is that, you know, my children are going to be third generation entrepreneurs. And if you look at a lot of the stats around that, almost inevitably, the third generation is where the wealth or whatever's handed to them, a business, whatever it might be, it's handed to kids who are just not equipped to handle it. They don't have the learning, the skills, or in this case, we're talking about values. And so I realized early on that we needed to form some really concrete family values. 
And we needed to do it collectively as a family. And so what we did is we sat down and using a lot of what we took from the exchange method is we we shared stories about when our family had been at our best, when we'd overcome challenges, when we'd had success, when we just had amazing moments that were worth remembering and, and, and understanding. And once we shared a lot of these moments, we captured the strengths and the values and the words, the qualities that lived within these stories. And we put them up on a bunch of post-it notes and then you theme them out and you find common themes and you start putting words together. And we eventually came up with originally four McCarthy family values. And the way that we structure this is, you know, and I've seen a lot of people do an exercise for values, which is good, but I don't think it's the, it's the whole story where you're just picking words that represent your values. And maybe you're picking three or four or five values. But I think what's lacking for adults, but also especially for kids, is unless you're adding an explanation or a description of what it means to live that value, it really just becomes a word that could be left to interpretation. And there could be many different ways of living that value. But I think the more specific we can get around, well, what does it actually look like to lead that value? And so it goes beyond just picking the title of your value statement, which are the word or two words that represent each value. It's going on to define with a description, what's the guiding principle that lives behind that value so that we can continually talk about it. And instead of it just being, hey, a lot of times we come up with a great value statement or a mission statement or goals, and then we just slide them into our shelf or into our desk drawer, and then they just live there. With these values, I wanted to make a point with my family to actually catch each other living the values and celebrate the times when we as a family or any one individual was living these values. And so they've become a, an integral part of our family life. And it's how I'm, along with leading family meetings and family collaborations, like we're talking about where you co-create things, because I think that in and of itself is teaching, like you said earlier, it's teaching my kids about not only does their voice matter, but collaboration and how do you collaborate? How do you facilitate? How do you ask questions and, and generate ideas at the level of a group? And then how do you create visions and actions that you go and, and put in place because of those collaborations? And so it goes beyond just that. And it, it's speaking to the idea of like, hey, I want my kids to understand what it means to be a McCarthy so that when they get out in the world or they're experiencing a challenge, they have something to fall back on, which is uh, ingrained in them, like muscle memory might be for an athlete, where it's like, oh, this is a challenging situation. Well, I'm a resilient warrior because that's one of our McCarthy family values. And then they're able to easily go, okay, a resilient warrior is we are strong, courageous, and swift because we embrace our McCarthy family motto that nothing is difficult to the brave and faithful. And so if they have that value that they can rely upon, then a challenging time pops up, they can move into action instead of maybe being scared or not knowing what to do and creating an outcome that's not favorable. Oh, man. I love it, Mike. So there's a, like your key word or two words that 
symbolize each of the values, but then there's also a guiding principle behind it that helps to explain or unpack that value a little bit more so that it's concrete in your minds what each of these values means, right? Yep, absolutely. You nailed it. Can you read your family values, please? Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, one of our very first ones was servant leaders, which is we are kind to all and generously share our life's blessings to set a loving example for the like-hearted families that we bring together. The next one is we're playful adventurers. We intuitively open to new possibilities and explore the world together, finding the magic in every moment. Mm. We are present visionaries. We are grateful and grounded in the moment as we co-create a life of abundance, adventure, and authenticity. And then there's two more. So transformation seekers is we are continually curious about how we can individually and collectively be our best and challenge ourselves to live outside our comfort zones. And then the last one is peaceful collaborators, which is we live in integrity through accountability and work together as a team to support each other in achieving our goals. Nice. And then also the resilient warriors one that you mentioned earlier. Yep. Yep. So there's six total. Awesome. We started with four and then we added uh, peaceful collaborators and resilient warriors later. And one of the ways we added resilient warriors is we actually started searching for stories that were multi-generational instead of just our own family. We started looking to Lindsay and I's upbringing into our grandparents and the lives that they led. And um, we eventually traced all the way back to the actual McCarthy family motto that is on the coat of arms is that nothing is difficult to the brave and faithful. So just to really tap into the history of the McCarthy family, we went all the way back to its origin to find some some data that we could bring into the values today. So it just made it a lot more meaningful that way too. Yeah, really interesting. I love the the descriptions you have for each one. And like, where you said finding the magic in every moment, that one really resonated for me. I think that was really powerful. Yeah, thank you. That's a good one. Yeah. So you guys, you constructed these family values through a process of just discussing what are the things that are important to us? What are some of the moments we've most uh, enjoyed in our life and other sorts of exchange-based questioning? and brainstormed and kind of narrowed it down? Is that the process? Yeah. And then you get a little creative and everyone gets to suggest, well, maybe it could be this. And we put these words together. It could be this. And we add this title and you just start to get creative at that point. And and everybody gets to sort of give their two cents and you keep on massaging it until you read it and everyone goes, yeah, that sounds great. That really resonates. And we changed ours pretty frequently for the first year or two until we really felt like we got it it, to a place where it it resonated deeply with all of us. And it covered the the totality of who we, we were as a family. And then that's when we started having it printed on different artsy posters and hanging them up around like the kids each have one in their rooms hung up. We've got one over our fireplace. My wife and I have one hung in our room. So you start to really put it into and, and diffuse it into your lives in as many ways and th- that you can. And in fact, this year for Christmas, I'm having family pictures from our adventures, uh, camping adventures that we did this year 
where each picture has one of the family values written out on it. And so we'll do a collage on one of the walls, which will be six pictures of us on our adventures. And then each one will be tied to a family family value with it printed on the picture. Wow. Really neat. Don't release this podcast until after December. You're going to blow it for me. So no, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully your kids won't hear it uh, because it's it's coming out quick, man. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the time frame it took to create the values because it seems like it would would definitely have been a period of many months and not just something you hammer out in a weekend. And you answered that question just now by saying that you really iterated it over the first couple of years to construct it to what it is now. Yeah. And we we did walk away with four that were great after the first 90 minutes. And those helped us for the first six months until we until we edited it. So you can get to a place of substance in this exercise within 90 minutes. But then to actually make them into what is your long lasting, you know, ingrained values, it might take a couple of uh, iterations of it over time to just just really get it to a place that feels great. I'm a bit of a perfectionist too, and so is my wife. So I think, you know, we just kept coming back to it naturally. Yeah. Awesome. Nice. Nice. Let's continue with the rituals. You've got number four is the STAR system. Yeah. So the STAR system stands for screen time, allowance, rewards, and responsibility. And so this combined um, several of the issues that we were facing as a family And first was, you know, we didn't really know how to handle allowance. Did they get it automatically? Do they have to check off on a chores list? And then they get it. And what does that look like? And then simultaneously, we were constantly struggling with the kids wanting more screen time. And I think anybody who has children who've ever played once on a screen, as soon as they do, then it's all over. That's what they they want to come back to it. And it's good because it's something they're motivated that they want. And so there's a way to use that to your advantage. So we had the idea of creating our own family currency. And in the the McCarthy family, it's the stars. So they can earn stars. And what we did is we put up two poster boards and we handed the kids a bunch of post-it notes. And we said, on this poster board, we want you to put all of the things that you would like to be able to do in our family to earn stars that you can then use to get what you want later on. And so they would write like brush your teeth, two stars and take out the trash, two stars and empty the dishwasher, two stars. And they just kind of randomly came up with different values and different things. And we ended up with like a list of like 20 different things or so. Uh, And then on the next poster board, we said, now we want you to write down what are all of the things that you want to be able to spend or receive in exchange for your stars that you're earning? And they came up with a, another list. It was like 15 or 20 different things. But in the end, it turns out that there's only three things that they want to spend stars on. And so they're able to turn it in and one star equals one candy or one dessert. So they get one, one of those a day if they would like. And then screen time, they get it's two stars for every 30 minutes of screen time with a maximum of one hour during the school week. And then three hours they can earn each day on the weekend, but they've got it. They've got to spend their stars on it. And then there's a two to one exchange rate for the U.S. dollar to McCarthy stars, so that that they, if they want to turn them in for money, they can cash them out 
And so it really becomes a way for them to manage screen time, for us to handle their allowance, and then also to teach them responsibility and the rewards that come from meeting responsibilities. And every day they've got a spreadsheet where they've got to tally up how many stars they earned and then how many they spent. And then they've got a net balance every single day, an ongoing balance. So it really becomes an accountability worksheet that they've got to fill out every single day, which is a whole lesson in and of itself. But it's just great to watch them do that every single day to be accountable, to track it. And it's also sort of like tracking your money, if you will, like day to day or your expenses, if you're, if you're, or if you're leading a business, your income and expenses for that business. And so it became a way for us to start teaching them about contracts, negotiation, business, because if they want to change or add something to this, they can. They just have to come and negotiate with us. So, and then it goes into the contract that we have with them is all written out. Here's what you can earn stars for. Here's what you can spend them on. And if they can get us to agree to it, then it'll change. If they can't, then it won't. And so it really becomes a great proving ground for them to have to deal with some more adult like conversations around their value and what they're worth and where they want to spend their money or not spend it. Now, if they do turn in their stars for money, we still do follow a system of the three jars where there's a spend, save, uh, and give jar where they get to pick what percentage of their money goes to each of those three jars. And then like for the invest stars, for instance, my wife has done a great job uh, of setting up stockpile accounts, which are uh, stock trading accounts that the kids all have. And so uh, they think they're geniuses right now because the stock market is, is up so big and they've done really well, but it's created a bunch of great lessons. And you know, once you do earn money and you put it in, in a savings account and then you eventually invest that savings you know, what does that look like? And so, you know, every week during our family meeting, they're also looking at how did their stocks perform and what's their financial net worth look like? So the stars have been a good place for us to teach them a whole host of lessons, like all in one in one spot. Yeah, I love that. That's great stuff right there. A family currency that you created with a list of how to earn the stars and then they can spend them if they want. They can spend them on suites. They can spend them on screen time or they can get cash that they can use for other things that they might want for themselves, like an allowance. Such cool stuff. I like it. So the next after that, Mike, is uh, the fifth ritual is your family screen time contract. Yeah. So this really goes hand in hand with the star system. So it's sort of, it's an extension of that is that we notice that we set some boundaries around how much screen time they could have and and all of that. And, and they needed to track it because they were paying for it. They were investing their stars in it. And we realized early on that we needed a, a document that would guide what they could and couldn't do with their screens. And so that's where we started compiling all of the rules around screen time about they can only do an hour during the week and they can only they can do three hours on the weekend. But there's also some things that we put in there like they have to uh, track their time. So anytime they're on screens, there has to be a timer on Alexa counting down for 30 minutes. At the end of 30 minutes, they have to come check with us and ask for another 30 minutes of screen time. 
They always have to ask us for any screen time. They don't just get it automatically. And for each of these things, if they don't follow the rules, they don't set a timer, they go over the hour, they don't ask permission, and they get on their electronics, it outlines what the penalties are for that. And so a lot of times it's loss of screen time the next day. If it's a a big time infraction, it might be they lose it for the whole week. And so that's also something, though, that we didn't just say this is what it is. It became a whole conversation where we allowed them to give their two cents and negotiate what they thought was fair. And then we're usually about once a month having to bring the screen time contract back out because there's been some sort of infraction. And then we revisit it, we read through it, and we decide if they want to make any proposals for changes. And then we hear them out and we negotiate, and then we decide if we're going to make any changes or not at that time. And it's it's great because it keeps us all on track. It's also not just for the kids. So Lindsay and I have to follow certain parts of the screen time contract as well. Like we are not allowed to have our electronics in our bedroom. They have to charge outside of the room. And after eight o'clock, we don't use electronics until the kids go to bed. And then we can check in, you know, with what we've got to do. The rules are a little different for us because we've got to run our lives off of it. And uh, we're not just on there looking at YouTube or playing around. Sometimes we have real work that's got to be done on there. And the same is true for them. If they actually wanted to do some real work, if they wanted to do some homework or research something or learn about something, they can come to us and say, hey, I'd like a little more screen time. And I don't think I should get charged for this because I'm using it to learn or research a family trip or do something and so we'll we'll hear them out and decide, hey, yeah, you can use your screens to do that. It won't we won't charge you stars for it. But it's been a great way to keep us all on the same page, which it's really a tumultuous kind of charged issue in most families is the screen time because the kids just don't understand, like, why can't I have as much as I want? Why are you ruining my life? Like, leave me alone. And uh, we as parents got to set those boundaries, but it, it really works well if you have them agree to it and actually sign it. So we all sign the screen time contract as well, which is a good business, business lesson as well. Nice. Then your sixth ritual is family goals. Yeah. So this is a great one. And, and oftentimes, I think it's worth stating, Dan, that I don't think anybody should try to do all of these like in a weekend or do them all even in the first week. I think you take one of these and you do it on a weekend and then you you implement one of these systems maybe over the course of a couple of weeks. When you feel good about that one, you maybe come back and you select another one uh, to implement because... And, and you might not even do all seven of these, by the way. You might find three of them or four of them really helpful or maybe just one of them and you go with that. And my hope is that however many you do, whatever you do, it'll be impactful for your family, but you have to make it your own. It can't be the McCarthy's version of it. You've really got to co-create it as a family. And so setting goals as a family, I think, is one of the most accessible exercises to start with. And the reason for that is because I think if you can communicate to the family that, hey, we're all going to get together and we're going to pick some things that we really want, and then the whole family is going to support you in getting whatever it is that you want. And so it doesn't really even have to be about goals. At the end of the day, this is just what do you want and what does each spouse want? 
what does each kid want and what do you want collectively as a family? Like, and in our family, we do set individual goals as well as family goals. And within the individual goals, we have each kid and adult has a, a hard goal and a fun goal that they're working on. And these are goals that are usually a little longer term. They might be six months, a year, or even longer. Like, for example, my daughter's hard goal right now is to learn to read. And it's been that for the last three years. The reason for that is last year we found out she was dyslexic. So we had to get really serious about helping her reach this goal and got her into a new school that's that specializes in dyslexic students to really help her to reach that goal. Her fun goal is to ride a horse and then jump something while she's riding the horse. So she's going to horse riding lessons every week and we're checking in with her on that. And so everyone in the family is working on these longer term goals that are uh, individual oriented. So they're for that specific person. It's what they want. They've expressed, here's what I want to be able to do. This is the fun thing and the challenging thing that I really want the family's support in doing. And so we start with that. And then the next thing that we do is we get together and we choose topics, categories, I guess is a better way of putting it, that are the areas that are most important to our family. And for our family, we just modeled the abundance pillars, which are like genuine contribution. So giving back, health, being in your best, the best shape of your life and eating healthy and exercising is a category and bucket list adventures and travel and doing things that are really fun is another one. And then financial literacy and learning about finances is another pillar. And so we use those pillars as the categories of things that areas that were important for our family. And then we just started brainstorming with post-it notes and poster board. Hey, what goals should we set so we can be at our best in giving back? What goals should we set so that we can have an incredible time traveling and seeing the world and, and experiencing bucket list adventures over the next year. And we would feel the ideas from everyone in the family. And then we put them up on a poster board and we start to say, well, what about this one? Is everyone like this one? If everyone agrees and they really love one of the ideas, then that's probably going to become one of the ideas that goes onto our family goal sheet for the next year. And we do this about once a year. Sometimes we'll check in mid-year to see if we want to make any changes. Maybe there's something that isn't as important as we thought it was at the beginning of the year, and we'll make some edits. But we set these goals every year, and then we track them and we stick with them. And then we're constantly, every time we have a family meeting, which is the last exercise in the book, we're coming to that. I'll, I'll speak to that for a moment, is we get to decide like, and make choices around, hey, are we going to do this? Is this still important to us? And then we get to check in and say, we did that. Let's celebrate. We reached one of our family goals. And I think this is just a great place to start too, is like if you have, especially kids, maybe they're a little older, you'd wish you'd started a little younger, but now they're teenagers, they might be a little more resistant to what you have to say. It's really simple and just saying, hey, we're going to have, uh, we're going to get together as a family and we're going to pick the things that we want to be doing, both as individuals and as a family. Would love your input and would love you to tell us what you want. But if you don't want to join the meeting, then that's fine. We'll just decide what it is that you want. And so you do a little <laughs> bit of a, a takeaway close 
and you position it like, hey, if you don't care about giving input on this, then mom and dad are, you know, we'll just decide for you. And we've noticed that with our kids, that really gets them fired up. They're like, okay, I want to pick for myself. Like, I don't want anyone else selecting for me. So, yeah. A great nugget I got in you sharing the goals is that you help your kids to have hard goals and fun goals and making sure that they have something in both those categories. So we're teaching them to do hard things, right? Like that, that was a great little nugget right there. Yeah, absolutely. Tell tell us about the family meeting, Mike. Yeah. So the family meeting is sort of where all of this comes together and I think that this is an area where, and we call ours, by the way, back to that idea of marketing, we call ours the family dream session. So this is where dreams go and ideas go to become reality. And so we really thought it was important for our kids to not feel like it was this meeting that they had to attend that was going to be boring. It should be something that is truly uplifting to them and it being rooted in exchange We follow a lot of the exchange methods and we start out our meeting. And by the way, the exercises in the book, it shares what we do for our meeting, but it also encourages you to go and design the meeting that works best for your family. But I'll just share a little bit about what our family meeting looks like is we do ours weekly. Usually we we hit it about half the time. So it's really about an every other week thing. Life just happens. We'll go months where we hit it every single week, and then we might miss a couple of weeks. And then we hit one, and then we miss a couple more weeks. And so I just say that so that everyone understands Like, what's important is that you do it regularly enough that your kids get used to what it's like to sit down and collaborate as a team. And they should be then modeled great leadership skills during that meeting. So that's asking a lot of questions. It's not one person dominating the meeting. Everyone should be sharing equally and having the space to to give input. And we usually start ours off by everyone shares what they're grateful for. And then we pick a member of the family and everyone shares why they're grateful for that specific family member. And then we move on to the next family member and everyone shares why they're grateful for that family member. Uh, We call it a gratitude shower so that everybody's getting to be appreciated by every other member of the family in some way. And I think that creates a lot of bonding and a lot of understanding of like how somebody has supported you or even where somebody needs more support. Because if they're talking about how mom really helped some them with a lot and it meant something to them, then that's a good indication that that's something that they would like all of us to be supportive of. And so we start with appreciation and gratitude And then we go into sharing over the last week or two since our last meeting, what have been our family high point moments? What have been our best experiences? What challenges have we overcome? Or, you know, where have we been at our best? And a lot of times it's amazing because Daniel, it maybe it's been a week since your last meeting and you'll kind of be like, what did we do the last week? Like, and you really forces you to go search your memories to find these moments. And a lot of times we'll pull up our photo stream and all the photos we've taken and we'll look through them. That way it'll help jog our memory. And then as we share those, what's amazing is we're remembering them together and we're bringing them to the surface. And a lot of times, if you can remember something after you've already forgot it, or when you're about to forget it, it cements that memory in such a way that it becomes more 
more important to us and we have access to it for longer and it stays with us. So it's it's one part just celebrating where your family has ha- has been extraordinary. And the second part of it is helping everybody to collectively recall or remember these moments so that we can really cement those memories collectively as a family. After we've gone through our high point moments, then what we'll do is we'll move on to talk about our goals. So we'll ask everyone, how are you doing on your individual goals? What progress have you made? What support do you need? Is there any help that we can offer? And so it's a check-in point on everybody's hard and fun goal. And then we'll review the family goals and update them and, and share with everyone, you know, here's how many family exercise days we've had so far. Here's how much effort we've given in, in time or resources to ch- different charities. And we'll just go down the list and review those as a family so we can remember them. And then what we'll do is we'll ask everybody, what are their goals for the upcoming week? So what do we need to get done to be on track with our family goals or our individual goals? And what's just happening in general in your world? And we'll generally, we'll start hitting on the schedule for everybody then too. So what's Monday look like? What's going on Tuesday? What are we doing on Wednesday? And so everybody just begins to get on the same page for the upcoming week. And I think even if every family just did that one exercise, it would be a game changer because so many families don't have that that space to really get on the same page of, hey, what's going on next week? What do we need to be aware of? And so that can become a really powerful exercise. And then what we do is my wife will talk about our upcoming adventures in context of our family goals too. And oftentimes in our house, we have a countdown somewhere posted. So whatever our next big adventure, right now it's it's Ember's birthday. There's seven more days till Ember's birthday. And then every day she's erasing it on the chalkboard and writing six days, five days. And so whatever the next thing is that you're really looking forward to as a family, we find it to be really helpful to keep a countdown of that somewhere where they can build anticipation for whatever that is. So that's an element that we work into our family meeting. And then lastly, my wife will get them together and show them, here's the balances on your star charts. Do you want to trade in for any money? And then she'll go to their actual finances and say, hey, here's how much money. We use a program called FamZoo, which is an app that helps you track how much money does a kid have to spend, how much is in their savings account, and then how much do they have that they could give away to charities? So at any given time, if they want to spend money, we're pulling up FamZoo. And then she'll also pull up their stockpile account where a lot of their saved money is held. And she'll review how their stocks have performed with them and give them a little uh, lesson on stocks and money and get them to understand how, how their money has gone to work for them. After that, we'll, we'll recite all of the family values So one family member will say them and the other family members will repeat it together. And then we end the family meeting and it usually takes about 45 minutes. When we first started doing it, it took about an hour and 20 minutes if we were lucky and everything went well. But I say that so that everyone understands is it's a little harder on the front end until the kids and everyone really understand it and they get into it. And then it tends to move a lot faster because they get used to doing it. And then it becomes an awesome place where 
they can actually see a team collaborating and having meaningful discussions about what they're going to do and what's important and making commitments to not only go do what they need to do, but also to support each other in doing what they need to do. Yeah, you guys have this down and you have such great buy-in. For anybody starting this, you know, I suppose they could start it at a smaller level than what you just described, where it keeps in that 45-minute time frame weekly. Yeah. Or families perhaps could even do this on a monthly basis, right, Mike, if, if yeah. weekly seems like a heavy lift. Yeah, I think any frequency that you could do it that has some level of consistency would, would be valuable. I think if you get beyond about a, every month, they forget what it's like, and it'll just take you too long to get it implemented. But the more you can do it every week, let's say, the quicker they're going to get to some level of mastery with it as well. But I think at each family, like I said, they've got to pick what works for them. And it could be monthly, and they they make it a two-hour meeting, and maybe they cover even more things within it. Um, it could be a half-hour meeting once a week, and they could just hit the first three things on there. You could just hit what are the goals? What are our high point moments over the last week? And how can we appreciate one another? You could just take three elements right, of that. That right. could be a family meeting. Yeah, exactly. Mike, this is great stuff. You know, on the podcast theme of changing lives, how do you aspire to have this work spread throughout the world and really change people's lives? Well, I mean, I'm really blessed to be able to uh, put this playbook on Hal's platform and partner it with the Miracle Morning because it's naturally going to have a lot of people who stumble upon it and they buy it. But, you know, my mission to make sure that people implement it is to, to speak to as many audiences as I possibly can. I've made it my mission. You know, I'm, I've got a lot of great businesses that are led by leaders who, who they've got it under control. And it frees me up to really focus on this, which is really my mission in life. I feel like this is, I'm the person that can do this, so I must do it. Because I am an entrepreneur, I am building a legacy, and I want my kids to be able to carry on that legacy. Not because I need them or want them to take over my business or inherit the wealth side of it. I want them to take on the legacy of being a great human being and doing the best you can, chasing down what your passions are, and then finding a way to use your gifts to make a difference in the world. And if they choose to go into business with me someday, certainly that will be an option that they have. But it's not the most important thing to me. The most important thing is that they get the character traits and the values and the ways of being that help them be a collaborative team member or somebody that can make a difference by bringing a little bit of leadership to any situation can make such a big difference. And that's what I hope my kids will get out of it. But I often say like, if I can just get one family to go implement this, then it's all worth it to me. And I'm sure there's already been one or two families that have implemented this stuff and it's made a difference. But I just keep going back to one more family. Like that's all I'm after is one family at a time if I could get them to show up, especially entrepreneurs, if I can get entrepreneurs to show up with half the intentionality that they show up leading their businesses with, and they can bring that home to their families, what type of difference does that make for their children and their futures and how their wife or their spouse looks at them? It's huge because you know this idea that, that we can pass a legacy down and 
kids are just going to appreciate it and know what to do with it and be able to run with it. It's only possible if they get to see the leader in action. And so this is a way for you to bring your leadership home and let your children, your family experience great leadership. Teach it to them by having them experience it. And then you're getting to produce great leaders who can go out in the world and make a big difference. And I always say that no matter what, your legacy is only going to be as strong as the hands that you equip to carry it forward. So you can build this ginormous empire that's worth billions of dollars, but it's not going to impact your family in a, in a positive way unless they understand what it takes to lead and collaborate and work together on something that's important and can make a difference. Amazing, Mike. So people can buy the playbook. I know that it stands on its own. It doesn't have to necessarily go with the the original Miracle Morning for Parents and Families, but they could also buy that as yeah. well. And how else can uh, people follow you and uh, and your work, Mike? Yeah, thanks, Dan. So I'm on Instagram. Go Mike McCarthy is my handle. I also have a website, gomikemccarthy.com. Uh, I'd be happy to speak to any groups of salespeople, entrepreneurs, high-level leaders about this mission. It's it's really something that I'm passionate about, whether that's a virtual experience, a podcast, or even in-person uh, events. I'm really on a mission to get out there and share this. So you can you can reach me also at Mike McCarthy at me, me.com is my email address. And then my wife and I do have a, a blog. It's really hers more than mine, but she puts a lot of parenting resources on this and it's called gratefulparent.com is where you can find a lot of resources around that. And then I'll offer one other thing, Dan, to the audience is if you go to miraclemorning.com slash PF playbook, it stands for parents and family playbook. So slash PF playbook, you can actually get two of the exercises for free to do at home. You get two, two of the chapters, which are each an exercise that you can experiment with and, and do at home. Outstanding. Thank you so much for that, Mike. I'm really uh, excited to be able to spread your work and your influence into the Cutco Vector community. You are an amazing leader, both professionally and personally. I'm grateful to know you and uh, really glad that we were able to get together for this podcast today. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, it's great being here. I, I love the world of Cutco. You all have produced some incredible individuals. And I think one of the ways I might teach my son and daughter how to be leaders and how to be great contributors is to one day sell some cut coasts. So when they get to that age, Dan, I'll be hitting you up to see how we get them involved. <laughs> Sounds great, Mike. I appreciate it. Awesome. Mike McCarthy, folks, I think this is going to go down as one of the greatest episodes ever in the history of this podcast. I just feel like it was so powerful and so meaningful, starting with defining what it means to be a member of your family, defining what it means to be a McCarthy, as Mike said, and involving everyone in the process of being able to iterate the most powerful words and descriptions of what that is, then creating a system that reinforces this so that people are living out the values, you're catching others living out the values, catching each other, living out the values, celebrating the achievements, and in the end, building a legacy that will pass on to future generations. 
That is what Mike and Lindsay McCarthy are doing in their life. I really want to encourage you to get the playbook, order it, work through some of these exercises, start small if you need to, and build up from there. I hope you really enjoyed this episode today and getting to know Mike McCarthy and his great, great work. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 